Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Well, it's good to gather. We are continuing our series, Cultural Church. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I realize that may take a minute. So feel free to use that table of contents. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be kicking off in verse number 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. In the series Cultural Church, we named it such because the church has two lanes that they can and will take. One of two. One, the church will be influenced by the culture. Or two, the church will be the one who influences the culture. And those are two very different things. I think we know that, but that's what we're going to look at because this is what the Ephesian church was having difficulty with. And so again, this is a letter written to Timothy by the Apostle Paul for Timothy, but also to be read by the church. But I think what we need to understand that we can miss is that the Apostle Paul's words carry the same weight as if they were Jesus' words. Do we understand that? That's the gravity of 1 Timothy 1.1 when he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior and Christ Jesus, our hope. These carry the same weight. These are God's words through Paul for the church in Ephesus. And the theme verse we keep going back to because it really summarizes what's, being, what's, been, what's going on here is 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul says, I've written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves within God's household which is the church of the living God. And so context here, we see that there's a correction needed for specific conduct within the Ephesian church, but we also know that this correction is applicable for every church of any age, of any culture of all time that encounters the same issues. And so it's definitely contextual, but it's applicable for every church in every century. So that's why Paul tells Timothy here to remain in Ephesus in 1 Timothy 1.3 so that you may instruct, command certain people not to teach false doctrine. And that's what brings us to verse number 1 in 1 Timothy 2 today. We see the first correction needed in the church's conduct. And so if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Prioritize Prayer. Prioritize Prayer. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving may be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We're going to touch on a couple things here. First of all, which is, first of all, what's he say? First of all, then, pray. And this is interesting because I think this is not the first of all thing that we are prone to do. Matter of fact, we often use prayer as a last-ditch, Hail Mary, I guess nothing else will work, so let's try this type of thing. That's not what God says, ever. It's, first of all, pray. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, in everything... That's a lot of stuff. And everything through prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So in other words, first of all, through it all, for all, 
pray. Pray. And we pray because of who God is. So we pray because of who prayer goes through and to. And that's where the power of prayer lies. Proverbs 19.21 tells us that many plans are in person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Psalm 119 verse 3 tells us our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. And then Job, in his prayer back to God, says, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours will be or can be thwarted. So because of who God is, it gives us a passion to prioritize prayer in our life. At least it should. Our life individually and our life corporately as a church. So we see two specific focuses on praying. Number one, we see praying for everyone. Which leads to the the question, what was preventing the first century church from praying for everyone? Well, I think from gleaning from chapter one, you can see that there was some bias in this church which was preventing them from praying for everyone. Some bias against groups of people like the Jews and the Gentiles. And we see that there was some false teaching going on in 1 Timothy 1. And specifically mentioned is endless genealogies, which I think was contributing to this lack of prayer potentially. But it leads to the question, what's some possibilities that prevent us from prioritizing prayer for everyone in our lives? I think just some emotions that we deal with. Maybe we're tempted to harbor hate. That needs to be an indication that we need to prioritize prayer. Maybe we're tempted to fight instead of forgive. It's an inclination that we need to start prioritizing prayer. Or maybe we seek to take revenge instead of reconciliation. That's an indication that we need to start prioritizing prayer. And what we see here is praying for everyone pleases the Lord. This pleases the Lord, which means consequently withholding prayer from anyone does not please the Lord. So uh, let me ask you this. Are you putting parameters on your prayers? So we pray for everyone. So if there's any parameters in your prayer life, let that be a check engine light that something's off. Specifically, something's off in your life with your relationship with Jesus. Because that's what starts happening. When that becomes a little bit off, it affects everything else in your life, specifically how you pray and how you treat others. And so if you put parameters on who you pray for or withholding prayers, that's a check engine light that there's something off in that relationship that you have with Christ. We pray for everyone while trusting God for the outcome. So the first focus we see here is that we pray for everyone, which leads to the second focus, he says, that we pray for all who are in authority. I think this is interesting. What, why was this point to pray for leaders and those who are in authority specifically addressed. You would think that would kind of fall under the all category. Maybe, I wonder, was God looking forward, right, to the 21st century American church who would rather protest the president than pray for the president? Is that a little touchy for folks? Can we not talk about politics? Is that all right? It, this happened recently. This is amazing. It happens all the time. But publicly, this happened recently. When Donald Trump was still the president, he made a semi-last-minute stop to McLean Bible Church there up in the D.C. area, Woodbridge area. 
And so the pastor at the time, still the pastor up there, David Platt, decided to corporately pray for Donald Trump since he was there. And after the words, so much criticism came towards the church, and specifically David Platt, for praying for the president. And it's interesting, because when you take the context, when this letter was written to Timothy in the Ephesian church, what was happening? The emperor of Rome at the time was Nero. And he was not pleasing for Christians, to say the least. Many stories about how he actively persecuted Christians in the church, one of which was that he would light Christians on fire, known as Roman candles, to light dinner parties for himself. And so take that into context. Paul says, you're to pray for everyone, and yes, even leaders such as Nero, or any other leader that you disagree with. We're to pray. And this is what we know, that God is sovereign over all things, always, even over kings, authorities, leaders, and presidents, and dictators. Proverbs 21.1 tells us a king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. So we pray. And it begs the question, are we quicker to protest the president than to pray for the president? If so, again, I think this is a check engine light in our lives. That just maybe we're being influenced more by the culture than we are by Christ. And we have to remember, this is a spiritual battle that, we in, that we're in, not a personal battle. I think we blur those lines sometimes. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil spiritual forces. So we pray. So here, when we look at this, when it comes to praying for everyone and those who are in authority, what are we praying for specifically? I mean, there's all kinds of things we can be praying for, but the aim of this text is aimed towards their salvation. We're praying for the saving, which is pleasing to God, who wants everyone to be saved. And this is an interesting verse. Because you can take a verse out of context and just run with it. So if God wants everyone to be saved, then everyone will be saved. And this leads down to universal path, right? Universalism. Everyone will be saved. That's not what that's saying. There's a difference between God wants and God's will. Because we blur lines, if God wants it, he wills it so it will happen. It's not true. There's God's wants. And so, for instance, there's no doubt that God wants in my life for me to stop sinning, right? God wants for me to treat my life, love my wife like Christ loved the church. He wants that for my life. I know that. You know what's not going to happen? I'm not going to be able to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I'm going to fall short. You know what's going to happen this week? I don't know if you know this about your pastor, but I'm going to sin at some point. Do I want to? No. Does God want me to? No. Guess what? It's going to happen. But does God want it to? No, absolutely not. We know that. And so we see that God wants all to be saved, and we see that through that he made a way for everyone to be saved in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So it displays his heart, displays his wants. That's open for anyone of all time. Anyone who has faith, anyone who believes will be saved. When Jesus said, it is finished, that finished work on the cross, that he paid the price for your sins so that you could live forever, is open to anyone who believes. 
So God wants all to be saved, but the truth is not everyone will be saved. And when we say about, talk about saved, this is not, it's, it's not clarified much. Many of us just kind of know what we're talking about specifically is that because of our sin, we are under God's wrath. I know we don't talk about that much. I mean, it doesn't make a very good worship song, right? Oh, your wrath, oh God. Like, we're, not, we're not singing that. But to understand God's amazing grace and mercy, we have to understand there's a just God who is righteous and his wrath is on us because of our sin and we can't do anything about it. We can't do enough good things. I'm getting ahead of myself. I knew this could happen. But listen, here's the bottom line. We know that not everyone will believe. Jesus himself said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And this should shake some of us. Because some of us have all this head knowledge and we know so much, yet we're so separated because we never fully trusted. So there's a difference between God wants and God's will. Because we know According to God's will, many will come to faith and many will be saved. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says that God predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself, which according to the, is according to the good pleasure of his will. There's a difference between God wants and what he wills. But the point here is that we prioritize prayer because it pleases God. It's an act of worship. This is important, important. Prayer is an act of worship. So we prioritize prayer because it pleases God and because we desperately care about the saving of those who are separated. So we pray. We pray to God and we trust him with the outcome. So we prioritize prayer in two ways, really. We prioritize prayer with a burden that aligns with God's heart. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God is patient with you not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for God's patience. So I know I can be one that stretches some folks' patience sometimes. Ezekiel 18, 32, God says, I take no pleasure in anyone's death. So repent and live. This is God's heart. And so we pray with that burden that God wants, desires for all to come to him by faith. And we pray with a boldness knowing that God is still hearing and God is still saving. I think we miss that sometimes. There's so much encouragement. Know that God is still hearing and he is still saving. We have this vision in Revelation chapter 5 where the lamb comes before all the living creatures and the 24 elders and the lamb is Jesus and they're worshiping him. And in verse 8, it said each of the 24 elders and Living creatures, they all had a a harp and bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's important. The incense reminisces of the fragrant, pleasing offering that rises to God. Our prayers are those that rise and please the Lord. So God still hears and God still saves. That was what we see in Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10. It says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased a people for God by your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You made them a kingdom and a priest to our God and they will reign on the earth. So here's the truth of scripture. Not everyone will be saved. But 
a people from every group of people will be saved. And that's why we pray. We pray every week here for unreached people because God's still saving. Here and to the ends of the earth, God is still saving. And so keep that in mind. I heard just this reminder this week. When you wake up on the wrong side of the bed Monday morning, know this. God is still saving. And that should make us excited. God is still moving. He's still working and changing eternities because he is faithful, he is good, and he's still saving. Which leads us to continue in praying. Which brings us to verse 5. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. And there's so much here. First, there's one God, one true God. And there's only one way to God. And there's a lot of thoughts about what that looks like. It's not how much you pray. That's not a way you're going to make it to God. It's not how much you even read the book that you consider holy. It's not. It's not how much you give or the frequency you're giving. It's not fasting. It's not helping others. It's not some kind of trip that you're needing to take based on you think that's going to please God. It's not even baptism, right? Baptism does nothing. It doesn't do anything with your salvation. And there's no doubt, listen, when I, when I go through this list, there's no doubt that you are pretty good people if you do say so yourself. You know what I'm saying? Pretty good folks. Like, I'm pretty good when I compare myself to some folks. I'm doing all right. And all these acts that we see here, these are good things I just listed. Good deeds, righteous acts, no doubt. But what God says, Isaiah 64 says, all of us have become like something unclean. Now, unclean means polluted, defiled, profane. And all of our righteous acts, that is our good deeds, good behavior, are like a polluted garment. Your translation may say filthy rags. And what it means, and your translation doesn't say, is that literally means menstrual rags. And that's what your good deeds look like if you're trying to climb the ladder of your good deeds to be right in the presence of God. In other words, your goodness is grossness to God if you're trying to use your goodness as a green light into God's presence. Jesus said, I am the way. Not a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says, I don't think I can be any clearer. No, he didn't say that. But I mean, really, why are we so confused? The way, and no one comes to the Father except through Christ. No matter how good we are, there's no other way. And it seems like this is what he's saying when he's praying in the garden, Jesus. He says, my Father, as he's praying, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In other words, just saying, it seems like an awful waste of my blood if there is any other way possible. 
but there's not. It's through the blood of Jesus that we're cleansed by faith. And so Jesus is the way. It says Jesus is the mediator. This is important. It's all important, but this is important. The definition of mediator is someone who knows and understands both parties in order to resolve a conflict or to go in between. I have an example of my dad who tried to resolve a conflict when I was young between two pit bulls. He saw two pit bulls fighting the street and they were locked jaws and their owners didn't know what to do. So he ran out there being the, the helper that he was and he saw, decided to really do the intelligent thing, the, the expert move that he created to kick them. That's what my dad tried to do. I'm going to kick them and these two pit bulls will let loose and everything will be happy and they'll go their own way. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't happen and they turned on him and mauled his foot. Yeah, so... Why do I bring that up? I just remember my dad, one, soaking his foot for in Epsom salt for the next week or something. But my dad was not equipped nor qualified to mediate that situation. Should not have even been there. But Jesus is. I think about how I have to mediate through my whole house all the time, right? I have two little guys, two and four. And there's some mediation that has to happen there. You know, they were in a pool yesterday, and you know, if you have one squirt gun, that's going to be a problem because there's two kids. You know, if you have one set of toys, that's going to be a problem. That's, if you have one car, it's going to be on, right? So there's always some mediation that has to happen. But I am perfectly qualified to mediate that situation. Why? One, because I know them better than they know themselves. I love them more than they can even understand. I've been in their toddler little shoes before, right? I know what they're going through. And I actually can do something about it. Which brings us to Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can be the mediator between us and God. The only one. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he did not know sin, but took our sins so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the one and only mediator. There's no one else, and that's important. Not your pastor, not your priest, not any other person, not any other holy woman. Not yourself and all your righteousness. There's one mediator, and that is Christ Jesus. And that is who we pray for, through, because we have a great connection through Jesus to God. And that's how we know that our prayers reach God's ears. And this is a game changer. Like, I, I'm still, in my own life, I'm astounded. But just as a church, I'm astounded that we don't pray more. That we don't have an urgency to pray more, knowing that our prayers reach God's ears, the creator of the universe that sustains all things, all the times, and yet we fail to pray. Maybe it's just me. It was just me. Thank you for listening. But this should move us in motivation to prioritize prayer. Jesus is the only sufficient mediator, mediator because he is the only one who could, could and has paid our ransom. This is what we're talking about here. Jesus paid our ransom. The price required to free someone 
from captivity. The, the word then means basically the same thing now. To free someone from being captive. And the Bible's clear. That all of us at some point were held captive by Satan in becoming trapped and tangled up in our own sin. And that's a problem. Because Romans 3.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. That's the debt we owe. And Jesus says, just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid the ransom to free us from the captivity that we were stuck in. It's only applied when you believe. You can reject it all you want. It's applied through faith. So for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the most beautiful part is Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Why? Because God wants everyone to be saved. So everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord by faith will be saved, period. At the moment of faith, throughout eternity, will be saved. Jesus says, if the Son has set you free, you really will be free. And this is the good news of the gospel. This just gets pumped up for the new week, remembering the goodness of God's grace and the gospel that saved us. And this is the good news that says Paul is a herald of, and that's not a word we use very often, heralding good news, announcing good news, proclaiming good news, maybe even preaching good news because we have good news to share. I was thinking, you know, the Westman family, a party of eight doesn't go out to eat very much, right? That's a whole ordeal when we get ready to go out to eat somewhere. But when we do, we're all in. We're committed, right? And so we get there, and, you know, I love some steak because I'm a Christian. So I love steak. In our favorite steakhouse, we get there, you know, and usually a wait. And it's like, how long do we wait? You have about a 30-minute wait. You're like, oh, man, do we try to go somewhere else? It's going to take us about 15 minutes to load up back in the van, 15 minutes to drive somewhere, right? So we're like, oh, okay, I guess we'll, we'll wait. And we wait. And we have kids, crawling up curtains, and we wait, and throwing the little buzzer thing, and we wait, and you know, they're playing Frisbee, and, and we wait. And I'll tell you, there's no better news than when the server, the hostess says, Weatherspoon party of eight, and I stand up and celebrate. Praise Jesus, right? Let us have a seat. And I'm so thankful for the hostess. You know what's crazy? That hostess did nothing to prepare our table for us. I was thankful for. I think about that when it comes to proclaiming the good news. The Apostle Paul has a specific calling to be a herald of the good news to specific people, the Gentiles. But it's representative of the general calling that every Christian has to go to all peoples to herald the good news, which is way better than saying Weatherspoon Party of Eight. We have good news that we came to share, but as we share, we realize that we did nothing for the gospel. We did nothing to contribute to the gospel. We did nothing for that person who, if they believe, to inherit the gospel. We did nothing to save ourselves. Like, think about your own testimony. You cannot say, well, I'm thankful I did this, and I did this, and I did this. You were born into a family that maybe raised you to know and love the Lord, praise God. Or you were dumb enough to stumble your way long enough before Jesus rescued you out of your jail cell or your spiritual jail cell. Like, just think about your testimony, how God's grace pulled you from the muck and the mire. 
And so when we go proclaiming, this is good news. And like we treat it like it's not good news. Even when we proclaim the good news, we're almost so timid about it, it amazes me. Like this is good news. Yeah, you have to get through. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. Nobody wants to hear that. But wait, there's more. Jesus paid the price that you couldn't pay to live a life that you couldn't live. And the only thing you have to do is believe it. Isn't that wild? And I think there's a stumbling block for some folks. You mean I don't have to do anything? That's right. Like the gospel's so good, it seems like heresy sometimes. Like, yeah, you're still stuck in your drug addiction. That's okay. Come to Jesus. Alcoholism, bring it with you. Come to Jesus. Pornography, come on. Come to Jesus. Like it sounds like heresy. But the point is you can never, never clean yourself up enough to be able to come to Jesus. If you're waiting for that moment, you will never come to Jesus. That's how amazing God's grace is. And so we pray. We pray because it pleases the Lord and he moves through prayer. And so let's commit to prioritizing prayers that please God. I was thinking about this week, the pleasing aspect that prayers are to God. God desires us to pray. One, it's commanded. I've, I've been asked quite frequently, why pray? If God's sovereign over everything and does what he wants, does what he wills, why pray? Because God commands it. But if that's not good enough for you, God is pleased and desires that relationship with us that we would humble ourselves and pray. It pleases him. I was talking to a friend this week that, uh, like me, they have a hard time asking for help. I do. I have a hard time asking for help, especially if I have, there's an even glimpse that maybe I could do it at a halfway decent level. I'm going to try all I can before I ask for help, and that's, that's a me issue. It is, because it's not good. Because what you do when you fail to ask for help from somebody, you actually rob someone else from the joy and the blessing of being a helper. Do you ever think about that? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Like, I know we know that. It's so blessed. I feel so good that the Lord uses me to be able to come along someone to help them in a time of need, whatever level that need is. So sometimes we need to get over ourselves, one, to be able to ask for help. But in the same way, God is pleased when we come to him on behalf of someone else praying for their salvation, or we're just going through a rough spell, rough patch. We are needy people. He is pleased when we come to him saying, Abba, Father, Daddy. I love when my kids rush to me and say, Daddy. And you just follow up, I want. That's okay. Because they come to me because they know I can meet their needs. God is pleased by our prayers. So in conclusion, let's, let's prioritize prayer. Let's prioritize prayer in our lives for those who are in authority, in leadership. Let's prioritize prayers for everyone that's in our areas of influence. Let's pray with confidence, knowing that our prayers reach God's ears because Jesus is still our only mediator. And by faith through him, we know that God is still moving and active in every area of our life. And when it comes to believing, some say, God will never forgive me. If God only knew, he would never forgive the wrongs I've done. I would say to that, don't believe the lie. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was getting at in 1 Timothy 1. I, am, I was formerly this way, and I am still chief among sinners. There's no one worse than me. Look at my life. If you know the 
Apostle Paul's life, you know that's a radical transformation that only Jesus did that changed his heart. And so he says, look at me, because if I can be saved, y'all can be saved. Anyone can be saved. No one's out of the reach of God's grace and mercy that's been extended through Christ Jesus. That's the gift of our salvation. Romans 10, verse 11 says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So as we conclude this time, we're going to come in a time of response. And we do this every single week because I know when God's word's proclaimed, God's at work in you, in us, in this place. So I'm going to ask us to respond to what God's doing in your life. I'm going to ask our band to go and come up. We're going to prepare to sing another worship song. And we're going to worship through singing. We're going to worship through praying. But I want us to prepare for this time of worship. So let me ask you this. What is God doing in you right now at this moment? What are some things that God is showing you, some layers that he's exposing in your life? Maybe it's a lack of prioritizing prayer. Maybe there's been a disconnect in the relationship with you and Jesus. Maybe there's a joylessness that you're experiencing. Even though you know Jesus, there's a joy lacking. Maybe there's something else he's showing you today. Or maybe for the first time you're realizing, you know, I've heard this message. I've heard the gospel. I've been to church. I've done all these things. But I've seen there's a disconnect in the relationship. I've never fully transferred my trust from myself to the Savior. I want to invite you to do that also right now. Knowing that whatever you've done, there's forgiveness for everyone who confesses. All sin will be cleansed and forgiven. That's all sin. So when you're coming to Christ for the first time, I'm ready to just been drifting a little bit in your walk with Jesus. Turn repent, live. That's God's grace in our life because he desires, wants everyone to come to him and he's done everything possible for you to have the opportunity. So let's remember the gospel, let's respond to the gospel and let's live with the joy that comes from Jesus alone. So let me pray for us and then we're going to respond by worshiping. And maybe for you, as the band begins to sing, maybe you just need to sit there and pray. Maybe that's your form of worship. Maybe you need to gather together with a couple others around you and just pray. And we'll have a prayer team over here. We'd love to pray with you. But let's pray, let's worship, let's respond to what God's doing right now in this moment. So let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for bringing us here today. Lord, I thank you for the joy that you give us in Jesus alone. We thank you for the firm foundation that we stand on because you are our rock. In the shifting sand of the culture where everything that's going on always around us, Lord, let us stay focused on you because you are good, you are unchanging, and you are forever with us. 
Lord, we thank you for the reminder of the goodness of your grace and mercy. We thank you for the reminder of what you did, your heart that you want everyone to come to you and that you've made way for us to do this. Let us remember our own salvation. And for those who are not walking with you right now, who have not fully known you or trusted in you, Lord, I pray that you just reveal your goodness of your grace and let that wash over them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, renew our faith. Lord, if we're guilty of losing our first love, Lord, renew that love for you as we focus on your goodness because you are so good and so loving and that we're able to love only because you first loved us. Because you are love. Let us continue to shape our vision with who you are and creating us, God, a passion and a burden to be a people of prayer because it pleases you. Father, continue to stir our hearts, stir our souls, stir our minds with affections for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being here, present in this place. And we thank you for Jesus, knowing that you hear our prayers because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. We thank you, Lord. And we pray this in the most powerful name, the name that is above every other name, the name that to which anyone can be saved. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.